0: Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series of learning more about some of the characters in the Old Testament in particular, and what life lessons they have to share with us out of the scripture. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to King Hezekiah. How many of you know about King Hezekiah? Let ask see your hands? Good. Then this is going to be a learning experience for many of you. So, you know, I put together an interview every time we do this. And I kind of want to get some humor in most of them. And I also want to get something that fits in with today's times. But I also want to give you just a little glimpse of this person to begin with. And so our interviewee, King Hezekiah, is about to come up. You may think he's familiar, but put on your imagination. He's not familiar. You've never met King Hezekiah before, so here he comes. We've been contacted by the royal palace of King Hezekiah, due to the persistent rumors that the king is in ill health, So he has consented to an interview to put an end to these rumors. Good morning, Your Highness. Good morning. Before we get to the health issues, our listeners would be interested in why it's been written, quote, that in all of Israel's monarchs, there has never been a king as great as Hezekiah. As the 15th ruler of Judah, why have you been given such adulation?
1: Well, you quoted that excerpt about me without the full text, a trait quite common among you people in the media. The full quote is, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that was before him for, and here's the answer to your question, for he was faithful to the Lord and did not depart from him, and he kept the commandments which the Lord gave to Moses.
0: Oh, my apologies, your majesty, for taking liberties with quotations.
1: It is to be expected. Your business appears to be to report what fits your agenda. So I am wary of your so-called unbiased journalism. Next question.
0: Is there a particular accomplishment of your long and illustrious reign you would like to share with our listeners?
1: Historians refer to my many civil and religious reforms as major accomplishments.
0: Next question. Well, let's address the rumors. As you are, uh, are you as ill as has been reported?
1: I have been told by my spiritual advisor, the Prophet Isaiah, that God wants me to get my house in order so there will be a smooth transition of power, because I am going to die soon. Next question.
0: Hmm. Well, please help us understand why does a, why does God want a king who has been so good and faithful to suffer and die? You really are a good and a great man. Why is this your fate?
1: That's a good question. And your final one. (laughs) I have no answer for that question right now, but I am going to cry out to God for an answer. I will take my leave, and in so doing, I extend my blessing to my people.
0: Hmm. We're here live with a monarchy in crisis. More news tonight and breaking news updates as they come in and maybe I should join CNN. (laughs) Thank you, Chris. So that really is a legitimate question that many people ask. You've probably asked yourself, why do bad things happen to good people? The question is complex. Consequently, the answers are not simple. What we refer to as bad things, the Bible labels as trials, tribulation, suffering, and affliction and a number of other things. This morning as we focus the light of scripture on the question and talk about our reactions and attitudes when bad things happen to us. King Hezekiah has been told he's terminally ill and it doesn't and he doesn't have much more time to live. That diagnosis was made 3000 years ago, but the truth is that diagnosis is made hundreds and hundreds of times every single day, maybe even to people you know. So how does Hezekiah respond? Turn in your Bibles up here on PowerPoint, and would you just stand for this particular uh, scripture? We have many to go through, and we can't stand for every one. But I'd like you to stand for the way in which he responds to the diagnosis given to him. This is Isaiah chapter 38, and it's verses 1 to 5. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, thou shalt die, not live. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. He said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days 15 years. You may be seated. Bad news. And what's his first reaction? Maybe yours. He cries. You know, when the Bible uses the word weep, it doesn't just mean cry. It means that you're just so upset. It's like everything inside of you is coming out through your tears. Everything you have to offer in the way of grief or sorrow is just coming out from you. He breaks down. He's bewildered, just as you might be if you got bad news. He cries out to God, I don't get it, God. I've been faithful. I've done the right thing. How could this be happening? Have you ever asked those questions as you've gone through some tumultuous times and some difficult times? What did I do? Tears bathe his prayers, and verse 5 tells us that God responds in an interesting way. He gives him a postponement, not a pardon, because here's a reality. Everybody's going to die. There's no way out of that. Not even a king is immortal. Death comes equally to all of us and makes us equal equal when it comes. The Bible says, The dust that thou art, and dust shalt thou return. No one gets out of this place alive. King Hezekiah, tears and prayers bring him more time. But as you've experienced, that doesn't always happen. And there's a particular person I want to demonstrate that to, and he's found in Matthew 26, Verses 36 to 39, and you'll see it in PowerPoint here in a minute. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 39. You know who I'm speaking of. Then came Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy, very downhearted, distressed, if you will, Jesus Distress. Verse 38. Then he said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. How old is Jesus? 33 years old. That's very young by today's standards. He's a good man. He's helped other people. He's been faithful to God. He's done all the right things. We know he never sinned. But there is no reprise from death for Jesus. The first part of Jesus' pra- prayer, that that bitter cup of suffering and death would pass from him, it's denied. But the other part of his prayer was not. He prayed, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And that was answered in the affirmative. As hard as it may be to find understanding at that moment, the most crushing events of our lives are not without purpose. Amen? Amen? You've experienced these hard times. Are they Was it purposeless or was it purposeful? Where our understanding ends, faith and trust begin. When you don't get it, when you can't understand why this is happening, when you're distressed over the fact that it's happening, when you've just about given up hope or maybe have given up hope, This is not the time to run from God. This is the time to lean on God. This is the time to present yourself to God. This is the time to allow God to hold you in his everlasting arms and give you the biggest hug you've ever had. This is the time to run to him. This is the time to find shelter in him and perspective and purpose and meaning. This is where faith and trust begin. It was God's will for Jesus to be suffering on the uh, suffering and dying on Calvary because it became the vehicle of our salvation. There are times in life when it's hard to say, God is good all the time. Isn't that true? It's hard to say it. Faith makes it possible, not easy. Your faith makes it possible for you to say, God is good all the time even though everything around you is collapsing in on you your faith makes it possible never easy in life you may not get honors medals or recognition but you will get scars jesus said in john 16:33 in this world you shall have tribulation it's a promise and you know god keeps his promises So, why are we surprised when bad things happen? Why are cigarette smokers surprised when they've been diagnosed with lung cancer? Why are alcoholics surprised when diagnosed with sclerosis of the liver? In these and other dangerous arenas, we've been warned. Maybe it's because we think it'll never happen to me. Not to my family. Not now. But when it does happen, through the tears and with the emotions, how do we experience and understand suffering? Sufferings are lessons. Sufferings are lessons. I want to share six lessons with you that we can find in First Corinthians chapter 2 Corinthians chapter one, verses three, four, and five. 2 Corinthians chapter one, verses three, four and 5. And you can look up there as I read. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, who comforts us with all, in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, and by comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. Lesson number one comes from verse three. In the darkest of times, somebody cares. In the darkest of times, somebody cared. He is, the Bible said. 2 Corinthians writes, Paul says, in the darkest times, he is the God of comfort. As the lioness jaws have the strength to crush the bones of her prey. It's that same jaw which carries her pups gently to a place of safety where she can gently caress them. The mighty God is also a tender God. There are times in life when God asks nothing of us except silence, patience, and tears as he envelops us in his arms, brings us close to his heart so that our grief can find a resting place only in the desperate hours that we go through, can we experience the grace of God. You need a tough time to know that you've got a God of grace. you got to be going through a tough time to need to be comforted and then to experience that comfort and that grace, to experience his mercy. And I know the lives of most of you, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, even though you're not yelling amen, 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 I know that you have gone through dark times and you have experienced his grace and his care. Lesson number two, verse four. Suffering helps us help others. Some people are confused between the words sympathy and empathy. But here's the the basic difference. Sympathy says, I understand what you're going through. And empathy says, I've been there. Which is more powerful You know, I've been through four cancers. And I remember calling up my cousin when she was diagnosed with cancer. And I had been calling her for a while. But during that period of time, while she had it, and while I was calling her to encourage her, I got diagnosed with cancer. And where I used to say, you know, God understands, I could then call her up and say, I'm there with you. I'm praying with you. Sympathy, I understand what you're going through. Empathy, I've been there, I am there. Your experience, death of a spouse, a parent, a sibling, a child, the diagnosis of terminal illness, your experience makes you an insider to the pain of someone going through the same hurt. In other words, you now can say to that person, I'm experiencing some of the things that you're experiencing. I'm experiencing some of the negatives. I'm experiencing some of the doubts. Or, if it's a painful illness, I'm experiencing some of those terrible pains. And I want to tell you that God can get us through this. Your experience makes you an insider to the pain of someone who's going through the same hurt. When those Hurting people seek you out. You can share your anger, your fears, your doubts, your faith, and your testimony in God's care the way you never might have been able to before. Lesson number three. Suffering helps us identify with Jesus, with Christ. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable. Which means in harmony with his death. Some people say we've forgotten the lessons of September 11th, and the only way we'll get it, we'll, we'll, get, we'll ever get it, is with another attack. We forget most life lessons over time, and we need to be reminded and stay focused. This is why we take communion. Jesus paid the ultimate price to purchase our forgiveness and our salvation. His bloodshed on Calvary. We're reminded as a faith community of the sacrifice when we sit and eat the bread and drink the cup. As we go through that, you know, for some people, it just becomes a routine. You don't really think about it. You don't really pray it through. But what you're actually doing is you're sharing in the suffering that Jesus had on the cross. And as you take that bread and you break that bread, does it remind you? of the body that Jesus sacrificed that was broken for you? Can you say to Jesus, look, I'm going through some difficult times, but my pain is nothing compared to what you've gone through for me. Can we have a little empathy for him as we sit and celebrate his death and his suffering on Calvary? Lesson number four. Suffering makes you stronger and gives you power. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12.9, He, Christ, said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was going through some difficult periods, as you know. He had nothing but, here's a Yiddish word, he had nothing but surus, aggravation, and always were things, things were coming against him. But he trusted in the Lord, and the Lord gave him grace and strength. A diamond cannot be polished without friction. Neither can you get stronger without trials. You've got to go through them. There is a purpose for those trials. Remember the inner strength that God develops in you will determine what happens to you will determine how you handle what happens to you. That's the inner strength that God's going to give you. With renewed power and strength comes a better attitude. And the attitude is this. I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. Attitude makes the difference between falling and flying. An attitude of trust and confidence can make you a frequent flyer. It's your attitude. If you throw in the towel, if you give up, if you said this is the end, God's not fair, why would he allow this to happen to me? You're not listening. You're not looking. You're not trying to find out the purpose for why you're going through this. You may not find out about it right away, and you may not find out about it down here, but you will find out about it. The Lord will reveal it. In the meantime, he will give you power. He will give you strength. He will give you comfort. There are people going through terrible things here as I look out on you, and I don't know, and in some cases I do know, and yet here you are. And you've made it another day. When I was a chaplain at Hagedorn Psychiatric Hospital, one of the things I always tried to leave the patients with was this, you have all that you need from the Lord to get through today. And that's all you need to be concerned about. Just get through minute by minute today. You have all you need to get through what you're going through. Lesson number five. Suffering can come because of sin and its consequences. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. God hates our sins but loves us. He knows that sin will destroy us and our testimony, and before he will let that happen to you, he is going to shoot something across your bow. He's going to give you warnings. God's going to tell you in a still, small voice, or he's going to come and get a two-by-four hit or hit you right upside the head. He's going to be warning you that what you're doing is sin, and what you're doing is wrong, And what you're doing doing is against him. And he's going to let you know that in advance. He's not going to just hit you with a two by four. He's going to keep talking to you. But eventually, he's going to have to get tough. The scripture term for that warning shot is called chastened. Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens. In other words, he corrects. He warns. He gives you an opportunity to hear his voice, that you're on the wrong track. A good question to ask when, things, when bad things strike, am I being punished for sin? If the answer is yes, confess it. Don't keep going down the same track. And then what follows is number six. Lesson number six, God uses suffering to bring us to Repentance. Where does God want to be in relationship to you? He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to be in relationship with him. He wants you to be so close together that he hears your breathing. He knows what's going on in your head. And he wants you to know he knows. The apostle Paul had an ongoing battle with sin. His sin was ego. Here's what he says, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 8. Lest I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. In other words, Paul was starting to think to think quite a bit of himself. Everywhere he went he was being there were adulations following. That's hard for anybody. God will do a lot of things to try and keep you humble, by the way. One of the truest marks of repentance is when we can see our sin, the way God sees it. Do you know to the word today, sin, the word sin today, is hardly ever spoken behind so many church pulpits? People, uh, pastors are afraid to use the word sin because it's not popular. Sin. I guess I'm not popular. It's not a disease. It's not a problem. It's not an accident, it's not a mistake, it's not a defect, it is a disastrous choice that we make personally. Repentance is a lifelong team effort between you and God, so let's summarize. Trials, tribulation, suffering, afflictions, bad things come into the life of the believer for the following reasons to give God an opportunity to comfort you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to hold your hand. He wants to give you a hug. When your when you're little child or, or somebody you know cried out in their bedroom because they were scared of the dark, Mom, Dad, what did you do? Did you run in there and hold them, hug them, let them know that you were there? That's what God wants to do. In your dark moments, he wants to come into the room and give you a hug and let you know I'm here for you. You don't have anything to be afraid of. He wants to comfort you. Secondly, he wants to give you an opportunity to help others. That's what the Christian life is about. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about what we can do for others. Third, to give us an opportunity to remember the price that Jesus paid for our forgiveness and our salvation. When you're going through those tough times, remember what Jesus was going through. And you will say to yourself, as I've said to myself many times through difficult moments, this is nothing compared to what Jesus went through. Next, to give us an opportunity to grow in strength and power. It's another thing the Christian life is about, growth. And if you're not growing, you're standing still. And if you're standing still, believe it or not, you're dying These times come to give us an opportunity to confess our sin and then an opportunity to repent of our sin. When bad things strike, you stand at a crossroad, a moment and a place of choice. You can choose to be angry with God. You can choose sorrow, despair, depression, defeat. This may be your first reaction, and you're entitled to those feelings. But you're not entitled to stay and live in those feelings. It's my prayer that with God's help and in time, you will learn the lesson spelled out in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, which in essence tells us, when bad things happen to good people, quote, they can glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. When bad things happen, don't give up the fight. Don't Throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hang in. Keep hope alive. You need it. Let's pray. We thank you, Father. And when we go through tough times, we're not alone. We have your Holy Spirit living and alive in us. We have your precious word that we can refer to for comfort and strength. We have the power of prayer that we can turn to. And we have those who are part of our fellowship, our brothers and sisters in Christ that we can visit with, we can call up, we can be encouraged by, and we can be having prayer warriors. Help us, Father, to use all the resources that you've given us to get through the hard times so that we can share with people what happens when bad things occur to believers. In Jesus' name.